Welcome back to Chit Talk, where we talk about really good shit. My name is Annika. And my name is Rithu. Follow us on our socials, here to Chit Talk and Instagram for sneak previews, audio clips, and more. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. We're so excited to have you tune in into this week's episode. Today's guest is someone I had the pleasure of meeting last year at a youth panel in March of 2020 before COVID pretty much shut down the world. Joss is a man of many talents, a project lead, fellow podcast host, and most importantly, an investment advisor. As an investment advisor and a responsible investment specialist here in Vancouver, well, now remotely because <laughs> you're no longer in Vancouver <laughs> at the moment. Um, we're interested in how he got to where he is today and other exciting side hustles he's currently working on, discussing the basics of money management and what makes a good investment, as well as how to make your money work for you. Welcome to the show, Joss. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Let's get into it. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. We're so excited to have you here. But um, mm. first, for those people that actually don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into investment? Well, 99.9% uh, .9 of the world has no idea who I am, so I will happily invite <laughs> all of those people. Uh, but uh, I got into the uh, the wealth management world um, basically on, uh, on ignorance, on ignorance. I uh, was attending University of Victoria, was in business school. Uh, a long story, less long, decided I could uh, jump the line a little bit, find some internships, crawl my way in. And I was always very interested um, in, in change. I was just very interested in change. What affects change on a societal level? Um, what affects change uh, from an economic standpoint, from a philosophic standpoint? Just changes, the concept of change was always very interesting to me. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a politician. And then I grew up in the world and I was like, oh, uh, politicians are the people that really get stuff done, the, the people that really move the needle are the business people. And so how do I, I go into that realm and uh, learn from the best, understand how money works, what it means, what it can mean, what it can do, how it affects people. I love the psychology side. Um, and so I took some internships. That internship turned into an assistant job. Uh, that assistant job led to some private ed education, led to another job at the same firm at Lee Jones Gable, where I'm still at today. Um, which led to me getting registered uh, as, a, as an advisor and uh, eventually named as a partner. And here we are today, still pushing the message of social responsible investing and uh, just wealth management in general. Awesome. That's so great to hear. Um, from what I heard, your, your goal is to try and help others with social, socially investing or socially responsibly investing their money correctly. Correct. Correct. That's it's, it's, awesome. uh, it's a concept. It's a concept foreign to many, but I hope uh, it won't be too foreign too much longer. Um, I was actually just going to ask here. Um, were there any obstacles that you had to overcome while starting up in this business? And was this something that you always wanted to do? Hooey, great question. Oh, let me just air out the industry real quick. Do it. <laughs> um, uh, there's a ton of there's a ton of barriers to entry. The if you're typically you want to go into the wealth management space, you're you have two routes basically. Uh, they they both involve an MBA, neither of which I have. Um, usually you go you know a, a bank route where you get picked mm -hmm. up uh, by an RBC, a BMO, or something like that. You get you know onboarded through a class, and you kind of work up your way to the corporate 
breaks there until you accumulate enough clients or client relationships or assets under management, or you go a different route. And it's a very, it's a multi-decade process. Through that, um, I'll, I'll skip to the other way, which is, um, you know, a little bit more on the private side, the private wealth management side. So mm-hmm. the, uh, the very much the, the gated community, if you will. So there's a, there's multiple wealth management branches. So brokerage houses and things like that. And just to keep it very simple, very high level, uh, all that that means is there's these banks that operate in the day-to-day savings and checkings accounts and things like that. And they typically have their investment wings. And then there's independent um, wealth management houses, which we are. And to get in with one of those, uh, you know, typically as a client, you need to be a high net worth individual um, and, you know, know somebody who knows somebody type thing. Uh, from uh, to actually get in there as an employee or as an advisor, uh, it's very much uh, develop relationships, right. um, develop rapport, prove yourself time and time again, uh, have a high net worth network, uh, sorry to say, um, and be well-educated and experienced. So usually for people in my position, it's, um, it's, this is usually a second career. Uh, once you've gone and you've become a doctor or a lawyer or uh, something of that nature, and you've developed your 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 network, real estate agent, things like that, then you go into wealth management um, and, and kind of get re-educated. Uh, for me, that wasn't the route, but there, there's a ton of barrier to entry just in terms of the experience you need to have, the education you need to have, the people you need to know, um, the conversations you need to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's one of the most nuanced um, professions that there are. There are many barriers to entry, although, you know, with the internet, um, you know, people are finding a way to, to give financial advice or coaching or, or mm-hmm. things like that in many different ways. Um, however, to do it truly as a registered representative, there's a lot of hoops that you need to, uh, to jump through. Is that solely for Vancouver itself or is it like a wider spectrum that it's just in general, like a very difficult thing to get into when you first start out? Well, to, to, to get into it, um, either in the U.S. or, or Canada, so there's two mm-hmm. separate governing bodies. And then in Canada, people have probably heard just through crime shows and things like that, the mm-hmm. SEC, <laughs> uh, the Securities Exchange Commission in, in, uh, in Canada is called IROC, which is the equivalent, um, the Investment Industry Regulators of Canada, not mm-hmm. quite as sexy. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm what's called a registered representative. I've mm-hmm. uh, gone through the training and the education, and I've been uh, approved by that governing body. Uh, so I'm registered uh, Canada-wide, but specifically in, in uh, BC, Alberta, and Ontario. So it's very much a, uh, a process and it's a heavily regulated uh, industry to actually I... manage people's money. A lot of pressure. A, yeah, that honestly <laughs> sounds like something I couldn't do. <laughs> no, it just takes neither. Time. So tell us a little bit more about your side hustles now. I know that you're working um, with self-hired, creating podcasts mm-hmm. and video production. And then there's the Think Space podcast, which I believe is more of a motivational and like leadership podcast. Tell us a little bit more about these side hustles of yours. Oh man, so interesting. So uh, my whole life is about systems, it's about psychology, it's about how humans think and how we behave and all of this mm-hmm. massive change on the, on the biggest scale. And so my job basically is just to tap into the best minds, just tap into the best minds, see what you can get. Maybe you can give something to back to them and whether those best minds are my clients or whether those best minds are podcast guests or whether those, whether those best minds are people that work for self-hired. So self-hired is a content creation studio to make a long story less long. 
creative house. Just think creative house. Uh, any, whether that's podcast, whether that's video, whether that's photo, whether that's brand design, uh, we work with some epic companies, create cool visions and just make cool shit happen. Nice. Uh, on a, on a high level, that's what, that's what we do. And, and there's multiple companies under that. Um, and we have a ton of fun just creating as creators. It's so much fun with that team. I can't understate that enough. Uh, as, so as a sub, as a sub little side thing with that is the Think Space podcast, which I host, uh, which self-hired created is how I initially got into, into it with those guys over there when the team started really growing and. Uh, it's it's to, it's a it's a podcast with a passion and curious. It's for people that just are dying to know about the pl- the plastic revolution, dying to know about human psychology and sports, mm. dying to know about how business works, dying to know okay. about nutrition, dying to know about spirituality, dying and just very inquisitive people. They're typically go getters in that self actualization stage of life um, who ask the question of why, just are relentless on the question of why. And so we've been super fortunate to build an incredible group of people over there. I have so much fun in the podcast game, as I know you guys do too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the tribe, the community, the family around that, the DMs, and it's just, it fills my heart with joy, honestly. I, I love it. Uh, Joss, I actually want to ask you, that made me think, what are some of your inspirations for uh, ThinkSpace or even podcasts that you listen to yourself? Oh, man. Um, Good question. Good question. Uh, it's for me, I think we're in this echo chamber of content. I just think we're in an echo chamber of content where original thought is just not allowed and or tolerated. So if I have mm-hmm. a thought that is different from the consensus, it becomes very difficult for me to uh, voice that. It becomes even more difficult for me to sit across the table from someone and hash that thought out. Um, Having ideologies or a variance and divergence and diversity in the way that we think, I think that needs to be encouraged. We need a space that we can think. We need a host on the other end who isn't going to uh, throw objections uh, all the time and have to prove his point, or, uh, but just rather be super curious, open, provide that space for original thought, and then distribute that on the largest platform uh, possible. So that, that's what it was all about. And then it was also just about me... Uh, uh, you know, as an excuse to tap into the smartest people I could possibly find. Very nice. And, and learn at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> For people who are just like starting out in investing and money management, what are some specific terminologies that we should all know? Hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, priced earnings, short selling, various types of funds, blue chip. Sure, sure. All of the above. Um, uh, I'll rattle off a couple of them, which is like super basic, where um, there's a million financial ratios that you could know, should know, depending on who you talk to. Um, guys, PE ratio, as you mentioned, absolutely paramount. Um, when you buy a company, you're buying um, a piece of its future revenues or the perceived future revenues. You need to know how expensive that price is in relation to what the company is going to earn. So when we look at companies like Zoom, for instance, which we're recording this call on, their price to earnings ratio is astronomical in the thousands. That wouldn't necessarily be if we're using 
this metric a good investment? If you look at companies that are not as popular, you look at, you'll see PE ratios of like 15, 20. You want to see PE ratios around there. So PE ratio, great, absolute great uh, terms to know. Short selling, very simple. When I buy something long, when I'm saying, oh, I'm buying long or I hold a position long, I want it to go up. When I'm selling something short or I hold a short position, I want it to go down. We can get into the nuts and bolts of that. It's a little bit more complicated from there, but just on a high level, that's all you need to know. Something that's very important for investors to know, especially young ones, is if I'm using a discount brokerage, a Quest Trade, a Wealth Simple, a Robinhood, we need to understand this one term, which is fiduciary duty. I see that. I see the. I see the heads turn. I see the heads turn. <laughs> fiduciary duty that just basically means that this is a platform, and that's all their responsibility is to you. We need to have professionals on our side, just like you'd have a doctor, an RMT, a physio, a chiropractor. You need to have accountants, lawyers, financial advisors down the road that are your freaking team and have your back and have a fiduciary duty. When you're dealing with these small discount brokerages, they don't have a fiduciary duty. Look for that in the fine print if you're ever working with someone. Fiduciary duty, it matters. Uh, two, two more, I'll give you guys two more. Um, Perfect, yeah. I'll give you guys two more. I'll give you guys... Very, 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 very important um, is just understanding something called the ETF, exchange traded fund, preferred preferred investment uh, vehicle for a lot of people for many good reasons. I can go into that as well, but um, exchange traded fund, ETF, basket of goods, buys a whole, if I want to buy a Canadian ETF, it'll buy the Canadian economy. If I want to buy a tech, a US tech ETF, it'll buy that sector. If I want to buy uh, a lithium ion battery ETF, which they exist. I can buy that sector through an ETF, very low cost, trades like a stock, um, a great way to just diversify, buy certain markets, put money in it and just let go. Um, they're a little bit different from a mutual fund. Mutual funds, active management, cost you a lot to own, meaning it's going to cost you two, maybe 3% to own every year, which is quite a lot in this world. Um, and they're going to try to actively manage things, uh, securities, investments, companies, sectors, um, to beat whatever the, the market does. Uh, so if the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, which are U.S. indices, which capture all of the companies there, uh, and if that returns 8% in a year, the mutual fund that you hold is going to try to return that. Um, so mutual fund, active management, uh, costs a little bit more. ETF, basically no management, costs you almost nothing, wider basket of goods. Uh, those are two, the, the two investment vehicles, aside from stocks, that uh, young investors are really going to care about. And, uh, and within those kind of stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, you capture most of what equities are. Um, let me see if you got those. One thing I would say as well is investors need to be very, very cognizant of the style of management. So I, I hinted at it in the active and the passive management with the mutual funds and the ETFs. Um, we, before we pick investments, let's pick our philosophy. Um, so active management, you're paying for someone to actively manage your investments or buying and selling on your behalf all the time. It costs you a lot. Passive management, such as buying and holding, the terms that I'd like to bring to light are something called value investing or growth investing. And now I'm just hitting you with all types of terms, but 
value investing is is another popular especially amongst younger people is fine or sorry much older amongst older people is just finding companies that trade at very low pe's and who i'm getting into the jargon now trading companies that trade at low prices in contrast to how much money they make so ford is an example of a value stock companies with low prices great fundamentals um and that's that's more or less a value stock and the last term so we got passive active we have value now we have Growth, and I haven't put everybody to sleep now. Um, <laughs> growth is growth is your your, uh, your 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 Zoom, your Facebook, your Alibaba, your tech, your biotech. Um, lots of renewable energy is now growth. Uh, Tesla is a growth stock. Neo is a growth stock. Renewable mm-hmm. uh, energy vehicles and things like that. Those are companies that are trade at incredible valuation. They trade at incredible prices in comparison to how much money they actually make revenue to generate um, and their price is justified based on the future and how much they're going to make and how much they're going to tra- change the world. So you have growth and value investing, you have active and passive investing or management, and you got PE ratios, ETFs, mutual funds, and that's your lesson for the day. This is great. This is a great 101. I feel so like insightful. so I'm learning so much, but I can mm-hmm. only imagine all of the people listening to this episode actually learning a lot too. I know. So I feel like I feel like this is a good point to kind of transition into talking about some basic money and investment stuff. So basically mm-hmm. investment and money 101. So as a young person yourself, <laughs> um, what are some common mistakes that you think young people make when it comes to money management? There are so many, but like, why don't you so tell many. us what you think? <laughs> Top five. If you For can, me, like, it's online shopping. It. <laughs> Unnecessary oh online shopping. <laughs> I am so triggered. I literally online shopped last night for Sephora. This is like, I know. Okay. All right. All right. We're in deep waters here. We're in deep waters here, ladies. Um, No, it's not online shopping. It's none of that. It's the biggest. (laughs) It's just, it's the relationship that we have uh, with money. We think money means something about us. It's, 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 it's horrific. Like money does not mean a damn thing about you. And as young people, we're obsessed because again, through a hip hop culture, a rap culture, through all these different cultures, it just, it's, it's just poured into us. It's just mm. how much money you have, to, uh, it, it reflects your self-worth, your social stature, what you mean in life, what you've accomplished, all these different types of things. One thing that I can tell you from working with people who have net worths in the eight figures and nine figures um, that money means absolutely nothing in their life. It does not define them as people. They, use, they recognize this solely as a tool and they learn how to use that tool extremely well over the period of their lifetime. That tool allows them to align further in their values and live a life of truth, whatever that means to them. So there's, there's two things. There's being rich and there's being wealthy. Uh, rich, you can see. Rich, you can very much see. Wealth is invisible. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently, which is a great resource for uh, all young people out there. I'd highly, highly encourage it. Um, the Rational Reminder podcast uh, hosted by ben, uh, F- Benjamin Felix and Cameron Moore. 
um, to investment professionals uh, on the East Coast. Incredible podcast. One of the things they said uh, recently was that uh, wealth is actually invisible. Uh, and when young men specifically say, I want to be a millionaire, what they mm-hmm. really mean is, I want to spend a million dollars, which is the opposite of having a million dollars. Right. Um, wealth, you can't see what's in my investment account, what's in my bank account, what my level of debt is, uh, where my investment, you can't see these things. It's all invisible. But young people specifically think that wealth is an external thing when wealth is 100% an internal thing. So that's kind of your big philosophical answer. The actual logical mm-hmm. answer and the more tangible answer is budgeting. Uh, <laughs> budgeting is the best skill um, that anyone could acquire as young as possible. Know how to budget, know what your burn rate is, know how much you're spending, know what your excess is, know where your money is coming from and track it and be proud of it. Um, and identify with being a response, like a fiscally responsible person, make that a part of your identity, not this whole rich stuff. Yeah, I kind of want to circle back to what you said before, because I found that really inspiring. Like, what can you say to people who are, you know, they want to follow their passions rather than following the money when it comes to an occupation or when it comes to a job? And what if they're worried about not making quite as much money as like another person because they're following their passions rather than like, Okay, well, let's just look at this logically. Um, let's just let's let's take a step out and let's go to the common mm-hmm. sense corner and be like, okay, well, um, through our lives, are we playing a ten-year game, a twenty-year game? Maybe our career is going to be forty years. Maybe we'll live. I think we're playing a hundred-year game. I'm I'm actually convinced we're playing a hundred-year game. And so, if I'm like, okay, if it's a hundred-year game, how much am I willing to give up? Mm-hmm. because let's say that all of the joy isn't in the journey and the struggle and the process, which it is, but let's say that my life just had to be absolute hell. I wouldn't enjoy it at all for a decade. Would that be worth it for nine decades of pursuing passions, living in alignment with your truth, living in alignment with who you are, not living a lie. It's not about doing what you are passionate about. It's about not living a lie. Um, it's about waking up and being proud of who you see. Mm-hmm. So to those people that would say, oh, I want to follow my passion, but damn, you know, the money's over here. Right. I would just ask yourself this serious question. If it's truly your passion, how many years do you want to give up? Because for me, like in, in my profession, I was like 10 years, I'll give it 10. And if after 10, I make zero money in this profession, I don't help anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I'll look up after 10 years and I'll reconsider but if it's truly your passion, go at it for 10 years. And by the way, what, what actually creates passion? Time dedicated and effort dedicated creates passion. People always say, oh, I'm super passionate about my partner. I'm super passionate about food. Why do you think you're super passionate about food? You're super passionate about food because you spend so much time like making food and me. cooking food <laughs> and the fan. Me too, that resonates bro. with me, yeah. Um, <laughs> We spend so much time cultivating love around the passion of food. But what if we spent that amount of time cultivating the passion around the love of um, creative expression, uh, around carpentry, around whatever it is that you, that you love to do around podcasting? I guarantee that passion would build so much to where it would, it, you would be willing to forego any financial benefit for at least a number of years. 
I mean, we're doing that right now, Annika, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we love doing it initially mm-hmm. when we, we started Shit Talk, it was like through the company that we were working at before. So we were actually working at a media house, like similar to self-hired. So um, yeah. And we, they had an online media company that they were trying to launch and they wanted original content. And that's how our podcast got started and I pitched it because Annika and I would sit around because we worked together and we'd have mm-hmm. great conversations. And I was like, we should record this. Um, I was like, yes. this is a really dumb idea, but we should probably pitch it. Like it would be kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know. And then it didn't quite take off from there, but we're like, it, we're just going to do it anyways, because, you know, we just vibe off of each other. We like have so many great ideas mm-hmm. that we just like want to just keep putting out there. And we just want to share with other people as well, who are interested in like tuning in you know, we hope. So yeah, we uh, hope took off from there. We hope <laughs> the vibes but, are strong. I love it. Yeah. Um, so for other common mistakes that young people make when it comes to money management, I just want to discuss the GameStop fiasco just that happened. So like recently, <laughs> can you please explain it to us in a way that ourselves and our listeners can like easily digest? Like what went yeah. down? How did it happen? Who are these people? Who are these people? Who these are people these are people? Crazy man, I don't know. Um, okay, so I, I can explain this, but we got to understand a couple of things about the game, um, and, and it is a game. Like we need to understand that in this investing world, um, theoretically, everyone is a, a market participant. Um, now mm-hmm. that um, because the reason why that is now in, in 2021 is because the marginal cost of investing is so low. And what I mean by that is that traditionally, historically, uh, it would cost you um, typically 1.6 to 2% of the value of a trade to make a trade. What does that mean? Um, That means if um, I'm trading $1,000 worth of a stock, it's going to cost me $20 just to make that trade. And usually we don't make trades in in $1,000 we, we make it increments in much larger increments in much larger increments. So the cost to make a trade used to be very, very high to just buy or sell a stock. Um, now the marginal cost has come down so much to where it's basically free. And wow. so we traditionally, we had these gatekeepers and used to all of be about gatekeepers there used to be all these private institutions, like the one I work for, um, these banks, these hedge funds, et cetera, et cetera very gated, suit and tie, can't get in, need to have a ton of money, whatever, just to even participate. And if you were lucky, if you were wealthy, you got to own stocks and you got to participate. So that meant that everyone that was participating in the stock market was super educated, very well advised, and generally fairly wealthy or at least middle class. That, that resulted in fewer people, fewer market participants, I'm generally making pretty rational decisions and well-advised decisions. Fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, we now have uh, the marginal cost of a trade is zero. You can do it for no money. Um, We have uh, information that is completely uh, disseminated across all market participants. Everyone knows everything instantly because of social media, Reddit, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Everyone has access instantly. And everyone is very emotionally charged. So what's happened is typically uh, stocks would move very slowly over a long period of time. As more new information came in, it would get priced into the stock. And 
uh, Facebook all of a sudden um, is, is, has X more amount of revenue per year, that means they're a more valuable company, their stock price will go up. Right. Um, what has happened with GameStop? So now that we kind of understand, okay, it used to be this way, um, very, very gated, high cost of trading, information was guarded. Now it's this way where information is everywhere, low cost of trading, and everyone is participating and they're very emotionally charged. Now that we have that context, what's essentially happened is that we have everyone living in an echo chamber of social media. We have the algorithms feeding us reinforcing thought patterns and reinforcing emotions because that will keep us on their platforms longer. And that cultivated together with this generation of people that wanted to be investors, wanted to be mm. entrepreneurs, uh, want to understand wealth, all of these things, don't have a ton of money to do so. Um, but what they do have, they can invest and the information is right at their fingertips. Where was it at their fingertips? In social Reddit. Media. And Reddit, <laughs> Wall Street Bet specifically. Mm -hmm. And so what you had is the masses coming together in one place, very emotionally charged, wanting to just say, F the system. Um, let's go make some money collectively on the stock. And they created what's called a pump and dump. A pump and dump, for those that don't know, is traditionally uh, that would happen on um, small junior mining companies, small companies, and a bunch of investment professionals. And it's very illegal, um, but investment professionals would get together and say, hey, listen, let's pool all of our money together here, mm -hmm. pump this stock way up, increase the demand so much that the price goes up and up and up and up and up. And once it's at the top, we'll sell everything and our clients will be screwed, but we'll make a ton of money. Wow. What's happened is now that has happened with the public. The public has gotten together and said, hey, we know these Wall Street guys will lose money because they've shorted the stock and they can get into that later. We'll lose money if we push the stock up and we'll make money if we push the stock up. So why don't we all get together and artificially inflate the stock and, uh, and try to make a ton of money? So you take that, everyone can participate. It's mob mentality. We're super emotionally charged. Uh, because of the information that's getting uh, pushed towards us. Now we have the situation where the little guy um, came in, picked one stock, pushed it to the moon, lost a bunch of money for the big guy. And now once that happened, once those big guys, those mm -hmm. hedge funds lost a ton of money, um, the regulators came in and said, the SEC came in and came in, came in and said, guys, you can't do this anymore. And they shut it down. Um, which is a whole another can of worms in and of itself, but on a on a super on a super high a super high level, it was the little guys versus the big guys. The little mm -hmm. guys got together, they pushed it up. The big guys lost, and the guys that ran the system shut it down. And GameStop happened to be the security, the stock that uh, is where that all went down. Right. And so for us common folk who are very new to investing, would it be a good idea, or would it be a really really bad investment to invest into like? really old companies like GameStop? That's a massive, that's a bigger question than you know. That's a bigger question than you know. So what I would say is that when we look to invest, we need to figure out, first of all, what are the thinking principles that we're using to invest? Mm -hmm. What am I actually trying to do? The um, people always think, oh, what's the stock? What's the stock I should invest in? What's the stock I should invest in? That's the ends. We should almost never focus on the ends. We should always focus on the means and how we got there. So to say, you know, at, at the end of the day, Annika, my job is to advise people whether to buy certain securities, certain investments, and things like that. Um, 
the actual advising of that is 1% of my job. The other 99% is the why. Why are we even talking about this? Mm -hmm. So if you were to say, hey, yo, should I go and buy something like GameStop? I go, listen, we're going to need an hour. Let's talk about it. And talk them out of it, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I would anything that's that emotionally charged and irrational. I would stay very clear. I just want to. I want to hop in and ask, uh, Joss, what I have gathered from this entire thing that happened is that people really underestimate the power of the internet when it comes to things like this. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Oh my God, uh, we're at the we are the tip of the iceberg right now. Um, this is part of a larger movement. This is, a, this is, do I actually care about GameStop? No, I don't, not even a little bit. Is it a sign of where the world is moving? Absolutely. Um, we're not selling products and services anymore. We're selling access to networks. What we see now is that everyone has access to a network. I'm in a third world country right now. Do you know what everyone has? Wi-Fi, 3G, and a cell phone. And anyone here could, could, have, could have bought GameStop if they would have had a, a Robinhood account. And so... What we're seeing now is that every person can participate in the information flow and the collective consciousness of the globe. For me, what that says is, oh, damn, we should really invest in education. And if everyone's going to have a say, we should make sure everyone knows what's going on. And it has some level of education. So is the internet un underestimated? Absolutely. Um, is the investment industry ready for the internet? Absolutely not. Is the investment industry a bureaucracy with multiple levels, multiple players that want to keep the system slow? Absolutely. Generally speaking, guys, the investment world is five to 10 years behind the rest of the world, which is very ironic because we always hear about venture capital and these tech startups. Traditional wealth management moves very slow and the regulatory bodies and organizations and compliance departments that regulate in trillions of dollars move very slow. So something as rapid as the internet and as slow as wealth management framework and clockwork, I don't know how that story ends, but I do know we're not ready. So you, you mentioned just educating people. What are some ways that you think that people can either get educated or what are some things you would recommend for people to do to become more educated in what's happening or just this in general? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very old school. So I'm a young person, but I'm very old school. Um, if you want to become educated about investing, do not go and look at what the, what the best stocks are. Do not look at what the best ETFs or mutual funds are this or that. Let's, let's just peel it all back and let's mm -hmm. go. Okay. What is the value of a stock actually mean? What, what does it mean when a stock price goes up? What are other asset classes? How do they work together? What is gold playing this? What's the economy? Um, how can I actually structure my investments in order to be tax efficient? How do these things interconnect? And I would take all of the, what's the best thing to buy or how to invest or how do I get the most money out? Um, investing is an incredibly nuanced process. Um, Every situation is different. What's most important for young people that are trying to get educated is that you understand the fundamentals of how things work, how the economy works, how uh, securities and different investments actually work, and how that intertwines with you as an individual. And that's all the boring stuff that no one wants to do. Um, but it is the most important thing. And before you even talk about investing, 
go into your personal finance, understand your budgeting, understand your cash flows. Um, so there's so much groundwork stuff that needs to be done. And it's very sexy, very attractive to just jump to, oh yeah, I own Facebook. Oh yeah, I own Snapchat. Oh yeah, I own GameStop. Um, that doesn't make you an investor, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my dad actually told me, cause we're just like, I don't know, he's trying to get me into like investing right now. Now that I'm like on the wrong side of 25, I'm like, okay, I should <laughs> probably like understand a few things about investing and like, you know, better my finances and stuff. And he told me like a really, really valuable thing. And he's like, only invest in things that you do know Absolutely. or that you understand. Um, so he's like, okay, I, I'm in biotech. So I understand technology, you know, med care and okay. Things like Netflix. Sure. Like everyone knows like Netflix and stuff, but he's like only invest <laughs> in things that you do like completely understand that you have a full grasp on. Cause like, if you start buying things like GameStop that you just don't really know, like it's longevity or like it's credibility and stuff, it could just go downhill from there. To, to, on, to keep it very high level, we should not look at individual examples of how to invest. Mm -hmm. Oh, this company with this price or with this price, we bought it or this, this series of events happened to this industry. And so we should buy this. What we should look at is we should look at the greatest investors of all time. The Charlie Mungers, the Warren Buffetts, the Ray Dalios. I'll leave you guys to link all those in the bio. The only um, one I knew if that was Warren Buffett, that was the only person I knew in that list. <laughs> all good, all good. All, all old white guys, all old white guys. Um, go, go look at them, read their books and go, okay, cool. What's the principles that they apply here? Mm -hmm. um, when you look at Warren Buffett, because that's the one we know here, he will tell you the power of compounding interest. He will say, keep your money invested the longest amount of time invest as, as frequently as possible and be as diversified as, as possible. If you learn that one lesson and you don't learn any other lessons and you follow that and you invest in low cost, highly diversified exchange traded funds or mutual funds, um, you will do better than 95% of investors. If you just stick to that one principle, the, the problem is sticking to that one principle. So the reason why I bring that up is to say, hey, guys, listen, um, stick to what you know. Um, study the principles of people that have done it on a very high level. Stay humble, stay reasonable, and most importantly, stay unemotional throughout it all. I love that. Uh, that just got me thinking about different things. Um, so my dad is also pushing me to start investing in things because I am also on the wrong side of 25 now. Girl, um, you're younger than me. <laughs> By like 11 months, but still. Oh, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, we're born in the same year. Besides that, um, my dad was saying that some of the things that we should look to um, is like renewable energy and things that are looking forward to the future. Do you mm -hmm. have any sort of trends in, or I know that we address GameStop, but do you think that there are any sort of things that people should be looking into about investing going forward into the future? Cool. Okay. Okay. All right. We're loose. We're loose. We're good. Here we go. Here we go. The heavy hitters, the heavy hitters, six, seven rounds. Um, uh, so GameStop is a flash in the pan. GameStop is not an investment trend. GameStop is a moment in time. There's lessons for moments in time, but that's about it. One thing I will say, so uh, just to, to keep it very, very simple, we are 
wealth management and investing traditionally has just been uh, find good companies and buy them. Uh, if Visa is making money, they're a good company. If uh, BP, British Petroleum, is making uh, good money selling oil, we should buy that company. If uh, we are looking at airlines and they're profitable, buy that company and buy a bunch of them, diversify, and away you go. And that's been kind of the traditional um, side of things. There's this natural evolution that's happened where if we look at companies just for what they are and what revenue they produce, um, we're blindsided by a ton of things. If we look at companies for um, what they do to the world, how they interact with all shareholders and stakeholders, the, the areas that they operate in, the people that actually work for them, um, the full product life cycle, um, we find a bunch of hidden opportunities and hidden risks. And so socially responsible investing is the natural evolution of investing because we see opportunities which are previously unseen. So we see more upside, more profit, more potential alpha, if you like finance terms. Um, and we see uh, an increased standard deviation, which basically means less risk because we're aware um, of the good or the bad that companies are doing in the world. So just kind of from a high level, we now need to consider, we should consider how ethical or socially responsible these companies are. Now, so there's that. And we can talk more about that in detail later. But in terms of actual investment trends, um, guys, it's simple. We are undergoing uh, a third industrial revolution. So I'll give you guys a 10, a hundred second in, uh, a history course. I was a 10 second, be a little more than 10 seconds. Um, on, on how our business and civilization has changed. We've mm -hmm. gone through two, investment, two industrial revolutions. The first one, so, and this happens, and I'm stealing this from uh, Pennsylvania uh, University professor, Jeremy Rifkin, who is incredibly inspired by his work. Please go Google that name if you're listening to this podcast. Industrial revolutions happen when three things happen. When we have a new way to communicate, uh, a new way to power, and a new way to manage uh, and move, move, power, and communicate um, our civilization. So, okay, what the heck does that actually mean? What does that look like? Um, well, the first time it happened was with the Brits. Um, they laid out in the telegraph system, which, guys, I don't even think the internet's a big deal. Telegraph system was a massive deal mm -hmm. because for the first time, you didn't have to be in a place to get a message. Steam-powered coal, coal as a fuel source in general, and then steam-powered locomotives. So you had a new way to power, a new way to move, and a new way to communicate. All of a sudden, how we lived completely changed. And guess who took over the world? The Brits. Fast forward, 19th century, and I'll keep it quick. The U.S. did it again. We have big Texas oil. Uh, we have radio, television, and we have the Model T Ford and highways. All of a sudden, highways are put in. Uh, the U.S. becomes a new superpower. And we find ourselves in a completely different civilization. Now we find ourselves, and as you know, the Rockefellers, Henry Ford, other mm -hmm. names like that, billionaires and trillionaires of their time, right? Billionaires of their time um, were made during that transition because any entrepreneur is going to take advantage of change, take advantage of the impermanence that exists in our universe. So now we find ourselves in the third industrial revolution. And this is where I'm getting to the investment ideas. So we now are in the spot where we have a new power. We have 
renewable energy, solar, and we have wind, which are the two dominants, geothermal, hydro as well. Um, new power, new way where the marginal cost is so low, it's so cheap. Um, we have 5G communication and the internet of things uh, where everything is now connected to absolutely everything. Um, everything is on an internet. So your fridge talks to your home uh, computer, your phone talks to your computer. My computer's talking to my headphones. My headphones are probably talking to Apple, it's probably talking to an advertiser, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> there, everything is connected. So, okay, we got a new way to communicate with 5G. We have a new power system. And now we have electric vehicles and uh, autonomous logistics where we've never had before. So now once more, our entire world is changing and that's a damn good thing. We have this new thing, this incredible thing called climate change. It's and not new. Well, in the next, in the last, in the last, we'll call it 40, 50 years, we have climate mm -hmm. change, which is that's very fair. new in the scheme of our, of our existence uh, on planet mm -hmm. Earth. Um, so we are in a spot where we need to radically transform how we operate, move, power, communicate, organize as a biosphere consciousness within the world, or else we're not going to make it. Um, so this economic revolution paired with a need for global change creates the most incredible investment opportunity in the entirety of the US or global stock markets, where everything about how we operate needs to change, needs to become renewable. So yeah, we look at renewable energy, we look at things like biotech, smart homes, uh, changing everything from a fossil fuel economy that was built on the burial grounds of a previous uh, era to now renewable sources of energy. Um, because it's all about thermodynamics, we need to retrofit every single office building. Why? Because 80 to 90% of the energy lost is thermodynamic. So we need to make these buildings more energy efficient, which by the way, saves costs, which by the way, increases the bottom line, which by the way, is aligned with uh, our climate targets, which by the way, are enforced um, by all of the countries that signed the US, uh, or sorry, the Paris Climate Accord. So we have now, we have this emergence of these three technologies, communication, power, move, transportation. We have global policy, as well as US and Chinese policy, the two major superpowers. We have uh, social uprisings that are now democratized in nature, zero marginal cost of trading. Everyone has a voice in the stock market, uh, riots and protests across the globe. Um, we have all of this coming together now to create whatever our new world is going to be. Now, I don't know, not like I do this for a living, but I, I would say that we would be very intelligent how, if we moved with foresight and said, okay, what are the things that we need to create in order for this new world, new economy to exist? Let me go invest in that. That makes sense. Because I'm sitting in the common sense corner, if you guys forgot. No, that totally <laughs> makes sense. And I just, I almost want to bring in the pandemic into the mix as well, because oh, yeah. with the pandemic, you know, all the stocks for um, airplanes, for instance, like you mentioned before, those have all like, you know, plummeted. What, what can we see in the future with the pandemic that's going on right now? Like, what can we see in like 
stocks, for instance, or like what should we invest in, like med tech or what sort of industries do you see in the future? We know everything needs to move online. We know that people don't have to move for business travel anymore. Mm-hmm. And we know this for a fact. We know that um, my bio, so I'm wearing a Whoop, which is a, which is a, what is it even called? Fitbit, Apple Watch, Whoop, they're all bio. Nice. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I'm I saying? have a Fitbit. I have a Fitbit. Yeah, I get it. It's it's gang like gang. a it's like a health fitness tracker. It's, smart, mm-hmm. it's a smart device. It's a smart yeah, device. Yeah. So on mine, I signed an agreement or I clicked the little button. I said, okay, to say, hey, listen, I'm gonna give my data to COVID to COVID research. So we know that all of our biomarkers need to be collected, managed, safe and secure. Um, decentralized, but still um, researched and developed by one governing body for the betterment of our globe. What we're, what's happening now is we're adopting this. Hey, the betterment of me, of Joss, is just is I need. If I'm going to be okay, then Sally and Ben down the street need to be okay. So we're like, okay, well, from an investment standpoint, what does that actually mean? That means that you know things like glucose monitors, as an example. Or things like anything that is giving me data about my body and moving that data to research organizations. Biotech, incredible sector. Um, Technology, obviously, is an incredible sector. What about data protection? What about cybersecurity? Mm -hmm. Um, These are things that we haven't uh, uh, talked about yet. Right. Um, When you look at how, and so again, we can look at healthcare as 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 a general thing as well. Um, we can look at um, renewable fabrics and a plastic alternatives because now that everything needs to be wrapped in plastic, now we have a huge waste problem in our hands. Mm-hmm. Just I'm just I'm just spitballing here, guys. But what I'm saying is that you know we really need to think logically and not try to pick the winners in each industry. But let's just find a way to buy the industry through something called an exchange-traded fund. I may not be smart enough to say, this little company in this little area is going to be the next Facebook, but I can say, hey, this industry is probably going to do pretty well. Um, so I would encourage young investors, especially to act you know, with a degree of, just say humbleness and say, hey, why don't I buy the industry, find a way to invest in this general theme, as opposed to being like, no, nah, I know this is the one put it all on black Mm -hmm. because that's gambling. That's not investing. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm hearing too, is that like, instead of, instead of looking at the nitty gritty to just look at the bigger picture when it comes to investing in general, like whether it's figuring out how to, uh, what to, or, you know, where to invest, it's all just looking at every single factor that plays together to form a sound decision. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. I could not have put that better. Be holistic in your thinking. Um, think on a first principles basis. Don't overcomplicate things and just stay in the common sense corners. Good place to be. Will you be having any additional side hustles and any new projects for 2021? If so, what are they? Can you give us the deets? Can you spill <sighs> the tea? <laughs> spill the tea. Tea's been spilled. I always be spilling tea all the time. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I get like coffee or whatever, I always go right to the brim and I always regret it. I do time. for sure. I did that today spilled. and I spilled it. 
Mm-hmm. Gotta have, you gotta have that space for the, uh, the milk and, and sugar sometimes. Um, the side hustle for 2021, guys, mm-hmm. I'm learning so many lessons about myself, about um, uh, specifically about capacity. Um, we always want to start new things. We always want to be a part of new things, have new projects, this, that, because, you know, we think it's going to mean something about us. You know, it's going to mean, oh, I, I get to have more significance in the world. I get to affect more people. I get to have more social stature because I'm the CEO of this or that project and this. And um, for me, I'm trying to focus on what's most exponential. And that's the advice I give to everybody. Um, I know that time spent investing in me is most exponential. Um, whether that's educationally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm happy to say that I'm not adding new side hustles uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm in a world of distraction. I'd like to echo, um, I'd like to echo focus. And I think that we should not look to create more things. We should look to contribute to more, more organizations and, and businesses that other people have started. Just think, not, don't think, what can I start? Think, how can I contribute? And if mm-hmm. we start with, how can I contribute? We'll be in a better place. So I'm learning a lot more about my capabilities, my capacity, and what I can contribute to in 2021. That was beautifully said. That's great. Let's, that you perfect. just dropped the mic. Now, what are we going to do? You just finished the podcast. <laughs> Done. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Well, I think that is a great way to wrap up our episode. Annika, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, that that was it. Sorry for bombarding you with all these different <laughs> questions. No, this was so fantastic because I think I learned so much today. Because like, also, <laughs> I didn't take finance or like economics right. at university or in Me high neither. school either. So yeah. like, I learned so much. This was so valuable. Thank you so much for coming onto the show with us. Any freaking time, guys. Thank yeah. you for having me, and thank you both for having the audacity to ask the questions <laughs> and ask awesome. good questions and be thoughtful about your questions. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that and how much it's worth my time and worth listeners time. So thank you guys for, for uh, the energy and what you put forth as, as creators in the world. Um, you, is there, is there anywhere that you would uh, direct people to find more information about you or learn more Shameless. about what you do? Shameless, Shameless plug, plug time. time. Oh, the plugs. Listen, guys, if you enjoy shit talk, what you should do is you should go <laughs> check out Think Space podcast um, because, uh, you know, we're all in the same we're all in the same family uh, of, of people that want to learn more, want to hang out, want to have a good time. And um, so go check out at Think Space podcast uh, on Instagram and just anywhere you find podcasts and um, shoot me a DM. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at Joss Biggins, J-O-S-S-B-I-G-G-I-N-S. I'm sure you guys will link it. And if um, you guys found value in this content, I encourage you to make a meal out of the content. Take the notes. Don't just passively listen. Don't make it a snack. Make it a meal. If there's questions, hit your guys, hit both of you guys up and hit me up. And uh, I just, whenever you whenever you ask and and you are curious you provide us with opportunities to provide value, which I don't know about you guys, but that's where I find a lot of the joy and a lot of the happiness, happiness and a lot of the purpose in my life. So I encourage all questions. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Bye guys. Bye.